Hello, my name is Russell Warren and I head up the tax team at Travis Smith, having recently taken over from Emily Clark, who has stepped into her new role as Head of Asset Management. I'd like to welcome you to the next instalment in our Travelling Seamlessly podcast series. In this series, which was launched back in January, members of the Travis Smith Global Mobility Team talk about the implications of operating in multiple jurisdictions and the challenges faced by businesses when moving their people and operations into and out of different countries. We have focused on a variety of topics, including navigating international payroll and social security rules, structuring international private equity transactions, the taxation of carried interest returns for internationally mobile fund managers, and the UK's visa and immigration requirements. In this episode, Elizabeth Grout and Tom Leatherby from our incentives and remuneration team We'll be talking about some of the key considerations for public companies when establishing and operating international share plans, including commercial, legal and tax factors. To find out more about the issues discussed in this podcast, the Travis Smith Global Mobility Team and how we can help with your global mobility projects, you can visit our website www.travismith.com and search for Global Mobility. Hello and welcome to the next instalment of our Global Mobility podcast series. My name is Tom Leatherby and I'm an associate in Travis Smith's Incentives and Remuneration team. I'm joined today by Elizabeth Grout, the senior counsel in our team, to discuss some of the key considerations for public companies when establishing and operating international share plans. Given their size, most public companies operate in multiple jurisdictions and there's an increasing desire among such companies to globalise their incentive arrangements. The main driving factors are normally to attract high caliber employees and to then retain them by encouraging their long-term buy-in. But companies may also be looking to motivate their employees to achieve certain performance targets or even just to foster a common culture across their organization. We'll be looking at the key points from the perspective of a UK incorporated company listed on the London Stock Exchange or AIM, which is then rolling out an incentive arrangement overseas. As with all things global mobility, this is a quite a complex area and it's highly fact specific. So we'd recommend seeking advice in the UK and abroad. So Elizabeth, would you summarise the main factors for companies to consider? We always start the process by asking our clients what they want to achieve commercially. This may sound obvious, but it is important for companies to consider the commercial drivers in detail, as these will influence many of the legal and tax decisions that they will need to make at a later date. There are often two key trade-offs that companies need to weigh when looking at their global plans. The first is the balance between allowing employees to benefit from local law advantages whilst ensuring a degree of fairness between jurisdictions. For example, many public companies will operate all employee tax advantage plans in the UK, known as save as you earn plans or share incentive plans. It may be possible to adopt such plans to ensure that overseas employees obtain favourable tax treatment in their own local jurisdictions, such as rolling out an employee savings plan in France or an employee share purchase plan in the USA. This may deliver tax advantages to both participants and their employers in these relevant jurisdictions, but it would also put those participants in a comparatively better off position when contrasted with employees in other countries that don't offer tax advantage plans. The second is to balance between the benefits delivered by the incentive arrangement compared to the legal compliance and administration costs. It is unlikely to be cost effective to extend a plan to a country containing only a small number of employees and costs will vary between jurisdictions depending on local law requirements. 
Similarly, the employee and the employer tax savings that are available for tax advantage plans need to be weighed up against the additional cost and often complexity of designing, implementing and operating these types of plans. Tax advantage arrangements require ongoing compliance and monitoring to ensure that the advantages are not lost and that the employees do not end up with unexpected tax or penalty liabilities. And are there any other commercial points to consider at the outset? Well, of course, the form of the arrangement may also be driven by employee expectations and market norms. For example, employees may expect to receive shares over cash or vice versa. It's always important to consider employee expectations, and these will have an effect on the popularity of the plan. Rolling a plan out internationally is a time-consuming and costly process, so it will be disappointing if employee take-up is low. Companies should also make sure that they involve their local teams and relevant third-party administrators very early on in the process. In particular, public companies will likely need to engage more administrators for their share plans compared to private companies. Those administrators should be able to provide practical advice on how best to structure the arrangement, and local lawyers should also be contacted to identify any legal and regulatory issues very early on. Thanks, Elizabeth. And in terms of those legal and regulatory issues, what are the main points for clients to look out for? As you can expect, there are quite a few points to consider. If we start with securities law, which are laws that govern the way in which companies can offer their securities, such as shares, to members of the public, well, these are intended to protect potential investors and ensure that offers are fair and transparent. In the UK, these laws require that companies publish a prospectus if they are offering shares which will be admitted to trading on a regulated market, such as the London Stock Exchange. And there are a number of exemptions from this requirement when it comes to employee share plans. This is welcome because producing a prospectus is an expensive and time-consuming exercise, so companies will almost always try to rely on these exemptions when operating their share plans. In the UK, there is an exemption that covers offers made to employees and directors of a group, provided the employees and directors are given a minimum level of information regarding the company and its shares. However, for employees and directors that are based outside of the UK, this exemption may not be enough. Therefore, when it comes to international share plans, it is important that local advice is obtained so that plans are designed and operated to comply with the relevant conditions, both in the country in which the company is based, as well as the country in which the employees or directors are based. It's important to note that breaching a securities law is often a criminal offence, so it is important that companies assess the requirements and any relevant exemptions very carefully. Where an exemption can't be relied upon, companies may choose to offer an alternative to shares, such as paying employees a cash bonus that tracks the value of shares. Sometimes these arrangements are referred to as phantom options or awards. And problems can arise the other way too, can't they? So, for example, where employees are required to pay for their awards. Yes, that's right. Uh, Certain jurisdictions, such as India and South Africa, control the flow of monies in and out of the country, and these are known as exchange control restrictions. This may add an additional layer of administration to the plan's operation and is a key reason to involve internal finance and treasury teams at an early stage. Some companies may also need to notify other state bodies or seek their approval before taking certain steps. For example, in China, applications may need to be made to the State Administration of Foreign Exchange, or SAFE, to register securities held in a foreign entity. In other jurisdictions, often in South American countries, employment ministries may need to be informed of what is being proposed. And finally, in order for the group's employees to benefit from their participation in a listed company share plan, they will need to hold and trade in the shares freely and without restriction once the awards are vested. Local laws and many securities laws may prevent this or give rise to practical difficulties. 
So alternative solutions, including holding shares through a nominee or a different custodian, may need to be considered. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, and you mentioned employment ministries. So I think it's worth mentioning whilst on the topic that there are quite a few employment law issues for companies to consider as well. So, for example, in many jurisdictions, such as parts of South America and Scandinavia, companies may find that share plan participants accrue rights of participation, which can then impact on their level of severance if they leave the group or even their pension entitlements. Sometimes these rights do not accrue if the plans are of a parent company rather than employer funded plans. And so careful advice would be required if this was raised as a concern. Another key employment issue relates to payroll deductions. As many share purchase plans operate on the basis that cash will be deducted from a participant's salary and then used to acquire shares, either monthly or at the end of a vesting period. In the UK, it is broadly possible to make salary deductions where the employee has provided their consent, and so companies may assume that this is true elsewhere globally. However, there are many jurisdictions that only permit deductions from salary in order to meet a tax withholding obligation. This means that an alternative arrangement may need to be set up, such as requiring participants to bank transfer their personal funds to either their employer or parent company within the group instead. There are also national minimum wage requirements and maximum statutory withholding requirements, which may act to prevent employers from making deductions beyond a certain salary level. Share purchase plans may be drafted flexibly on this basis and permit the scaling down of participant applications where any of these limits would otherwise be breached. And finally, it's important to consider data protection regimes from country to country as these will differ and they'll need to be complied with locally when administering an international plan. Thanks, Tom. And you mentioned tax withholding. So can you run through some of the key considerations when designing and operating international plans? Yes. So one of the key questions to ask at the planning stage is whether the jurisdiction in question has a tax advantage regime for equity plans. And if it does, whether that regime fits in with what the commercial objectives of the company are and whether it's worthwhile making that arrangement and implementing it. In particular, the tax advantages need to be considered in the context of fairness between the jurisdictions and the additional costs and expenses that come with operating these plans, as you mentioned earlier. Another major point to understand is when the tax liabilities will be triggered under the plan. Plans should be designed insofar as possible to avoid events that give rise to tax liabilities without any corresponding cash payments or proceeds. This would be referred to as a dry tax charge as there's no liquid cash with which to pay the tax. Making sure that tax payments and withholdings are only triggered when employees can realise value from their awards, such as when they're selling their shares, is therefore key. Uh, and this needs to be confirmed early on in the process so that it can be taken into account when designing the plan. It's also preferable to have a consistent tax point across all jurisdictions just for ease of administration. But this may not always be possible depending on local laws. And what about the actual tax rates that people have to pay? In certain jurisdictions such as the UK, uh, income tax and capital gains rates might differ significantly, albeit less so in the UK now following the recent mini budget. If these are important jurisdictions in the plan for employees, then companies may want to design the arrangement to ensure that it secures capital treatment in those jurisdictions. However, in many jurisdictions, the tax rates will be lower and more closely aligned. And so obtaining capital treatment in those locations may be less important. Local councils should also be consulted on whether there are any traps that could result in excessive or one-off tax charges. For example, tax penalties can be charged on both the participants and their employer in the US, where excessive compensation is paid in connection with a change of control event. Exit charges can also arise in jurisdictions like Hong Kong and Singapore for expats who cease to be employed there. These points should be considered during the plan design stage and, where necessary, monitored on an ongoing basis. 
UK listed companies should also be aware that certain jurisdictions, such as India, do not automatically accept share price figures from the London Stock Exchange when valuing shares for tax purposes. And are there any final points that listed companies should consider? Well, listed companies are subject to more onerous corporate governance requirements as well. So it's important to check whether any provisions of the corporate governance code or listing or aim rules might clash with any local law requirements or expectations. One point of difficulty that often comes up is with enforceability of malice and clawback provisions, uh, which are a key requirement under the UK's corporate governance code, but may not be permitted uh, under local law. Brilliant. I think we'll leave this topic here for today, but this isn't the last that you'll hear from us in relation to international share plans. Our global mobility team plans to release another podcast dealing with similar themes from a private company perspective. So do keep an eye out if you'd like to learn more. Until then, goodbye.